Campfire. Fireside Chats. This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Welcome, campers, to this week's Fireside Chat. If you notice a little extra background noise, that is because here in the great state of Indiana, we are currently experiencing 60 mile an hour winds. So, if this intro is sounding a bit extra spooky, you're welcome. This week, we have a very special guest. You'll probably recognize his voice from the gone but never forgotten Paratopia podcast that he hosted alongside the late, great Jeff Ritzman. He is also the sometimes host of Dreamland with Whitley Strieber. He is also the author of a handful of fantastic books, like I Am to Tell You This and I Am to Tell You It Is Fiction, I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land, and his latest book, Aliens, The First and Final Disclosure, is a brilliant think piece on the truth behind the alien phenomenon and why the mainstream is getting it so wrong from the perspective of an honest-to-goodness experiencer. This guy is a seemingly endless font of fascinating discussion and theory. I had a seriously amazing time getting into all that with him. We talk about where he started, the incredible experiences he's he's gone through. It's, it's a fascinating discussion, and I know you'll agree. All right, guys. Do not skip the show notes on this one, seriously. Follow all the links and keep up with what Jeremy's doing. You both deserve it. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this fireside chat with Jeremy Vaney. All right, Jeremy Vaney. First off, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I... Mostly, I, I just want to sit down and, and get to know you. I think um, our audience could could really benefit from, you know, knowing who you are and from what us you having do. a date. Yes, exactly. Oh, Being excellent. a fly on the wall while we get to know each other in a romantic Italian restaurant. <laughs> I like long walks on the beach. That's why I moved to Hawaii. That's perfect. That's actually <laughs> what I have planned for after this. So you're in for wow. a treat. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want a beach here right now. I promise. No. <laughs> we'll go to your neighborhood. Excellent. So really just like starting at the beginning. Like what is it that that sort of pulled you into, you know, the world of Fortiana? Um the thing that well, the thing that pulled me in, I guess uh trying to think of what the really honest answer is because like you know as a little kid you enjoy dinosaurs and psychic stuff and all that uh so i don't know if that counts but like what really pulled me in i guess was um in eighth grade uh going i lived in massachusetts um lived with my mom and my sister my parents were divorced we went to visit my grandparents in vermont um and it's the typical, stereotypical, probably, you know, late night, desolate road in the middle of nowhere, you know, along the New Hampshire-Vermont border. And um, up in the sky, my mom saw it first. My, uh, I was I was sitting behind her. She was driving. My, my sister was in the passenger seat. And uh, my mom was like, oh, look at, you know, wow, what is that? And I don't, I, I guess I sort of glancingly looked up to see what she was looking at and it was you know straight out of a a sci-fi movie it was if i took a picture of it you wouldn't believe it i didn't believe at the time it it was uh oval or round it was self-luminescent green it was it had porthole windows running down the center it had blood red and blue blinking lights it was sort of tucked between two mountain peaks and uh tilted on an axis the bottom of it was flat, uh, and it was just the top half was spinning one way, the bottom half was spinning the other, and it was just doing that. And um, I didn't think UFO at the time. Uh, I thought, like in in Massachusetts, the closest thing you have to something like that would be like something because it's kind of Las Vegasy. Uh, <laughs> it was the Sitco <laughs> sign? There was the Sitco gas sign. That was all the rage back when I was a kid. For some reason, 
because it yeah. lit up and blinked and all that. So it looked fake. It looked like a toy, frankly, and it was massive. And I rolled down my window because I wanted to see if it was making a sound. I wanted to make sure it was seeing this because what was it doing there? Um, and my sister couldn't see it. She was reading a book, and I don't know if it was at an angle where because I remember her trying to sort of look over, not really climb over, but sort of in that direction of looking over my my mom out my mom's window to see this thing and couldn't see it. So I don't know if it was the angle in the sky that she couldn't see it or if she was just, you know, not interested or in, you know, unconsciously yeah. instructed not to look. You know, you've got that incapable of seeing it, incapable of seeing it. But she went back to reading her book, didn't see it. So my mom remembers uh, it being there just long enough to see and then and then not being there anymore. But I remember I know how that would feel that way for her because I remember her going as fast as possible away from this thing around a bend yep. and I watched it out the back windshield so uh, it was still there um, when she perceived it to have left we got to our grandparents place and they were uh, staunch conservatives and we thought they would laugh at us and make fun of us and all of that and um, they're sciencey types uh, but no it was the opposite my uncle who lived with them had time life mysteries of the unexplained sitting on the coffee table and it turned out he had had his own ufo experiences at a cabin in the woods and was now all into this and something about that synchronicity uh woke me up out of myself like it felt as though at that moment there were a hidden hand or there were some intelligence that were orchestrating this sighting and my uncle's thing like it just felt planned let's put it that way yeah. Uh, even though, you know, it's just a feeling. It's, you know, it didn't follow us or anything like that. It was just there. It was still there when we went around the corner. So presumably whatever that was had other plans. But anyway, that was that. So uh, that was like eighth grade. And I, uh, we didn't really talk about it ever <laughs> after that yeah. for like till, I don't know, maybe my sophomore year of high school. Um trying to think if that's true maybe freshman year maybe it was freshman year that always um, blows my mind i hear that so often with the experiencers that like i had this life-altering crazy experience and with a friend and we just didn't speak about it afterward well, because my sister didn't believe in such things or whatever i mean I didn't put it together as a UFO, like I said, at, at, right. in the moment. And it was only afterwards where I was like, that was a, that was a UFO. That was a whatever that, you know, that was out of the Jetsons. Yeah. That was a giant thing. <laughs> um, but my mom had forgotten about it, uh, it for the longest time. And I would have to remind her. I mean, this is pretty much why we didn't talk about it. My sister went off to college. Uh, <laughs> my mom didn't want, you know, didn't remember it. Like, how do you yeah. not remember it is the real right. question to me. To me, yeah. it was, like, imprinted on me, and I didn't want to tell, like, I didn't feel comfortable telling kids at school yet until I had a real cool clique of friends. Yeah. Um, but then we were watching um, One Fine Day, Unsolved Mysteries Ourselves, and it was the Gulf Breeze sightings, uh, the Ed Walters photo. And it I wouldn't say it looked exactly like that, but it looked just as fake as that. Yeah. Uh, as cartoonish as that. Um mm -hmm. And I was like, Mama, that's it. Remember? Don't you remember? We and then it was, oh yeah. And then suddenly she remembered the whole event, you know? Yeah. Um so that was interesting. And then she just kind of thought it was interesting, or she claims she did. None of her actions <laughs> speak to this. Yeah. Except that like I years, years, years later made a documentary and she was in it and didn't like um how she came across <laughs> and then since then was like I swear I'll believe you, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So that was that was that, and then from there in high school, um, after that, actually, because it really did affect me. I started having these. Um, you could just say they were dreams, and maybe they were, but it was the first time I can remember having first-person dreams through my eyes, and they were like flashbacks, and they were just small dreams. Um, UFO and quote-unquote alien related and uh, then at 15 something actually did walk into my bedroom <laughs> and 
woke me, uh, or whatever. The, the door opening made a noise, a thump sound when it opened, and that woke me up, and I saw this shadow walk in. Its head was bobbling as it was babbling at me, like physically, not psychically. It had something long and sharp in its, I think, left hand um, that I thought as a 15-year-old sword. And of course, if you follow the literature, you'd say it was a giant needle or something. Sure. Who the hell knows? Um, but it it was, the terror was, you know, fight, flight, or freeze kicks in, and I fled underneath my covers. And well, before I did that, I mean, I sat straight up in bed and I watched this thing, and then I said, Ma, what are you doing? Go, uh go back to sleep and immediately thought this isn't your mother you know what this is yeah and that frightened me and so i pulled the covers over my head and that's all i remember and then i of course the next day i asked my mom did you come into my room no of course not okay um and you know i can bore you with the (laughs) the tiny little bitty stories here and there if you want but i had small things happened like that that led me to believe uh that this was something in my life and something to check out so um some of them you could explain away easily some of them not so much um uh, but i hadn't really seen them like in detail like obviously i saw a shadow but i didn't see any detail of what this looked like and i didn't see that until 2001 uh in an experience where where i was face to face with them um but and I can get into that if you want to hear that. Um, this is campfire stories, after all. Yeah. Before you do, I'm <laughs> curious because you said um, when you were talking about the dreams that you had, the, the first person dreams. Yeah. You said you can call them dreams if you like, but do you think of them as as dreams or experiences? I really don't know. Um, I for most of my life, I thought they were experiences, um, but now. I, I just I put a question mark on it, and sure. part of the question mark is that it's not that important to me. Yeah, <laughs> like that's fair. This stuff is less and less important, even if it's happening. Um, which I probably sounds weird to people who would be like, you know, who either think they want this to happen or have it happening and they're frightened of it or whatever. But yeah. to me, it's uh, you know, I'm over it. That's fair. I mean been a while right and you seems it seems like you've had quite a few experiences um yeah i mean i I, think it's more uh, there's got to be something about it it's more fun to try to figure out or to let it come to you however that works sort of what might be going on like i think it's more useful i don't think it's useful to just sort of like now obviously your your audience doesn't if they don't know me they need to hear these stories to judge whether i'm delusional or whatever (laughs) lying or telling the truth but beyond that telling these stories over and over again is pointless and it's it's something you know i used to host a podcast called peritopia with my partner jeff ritzman and he would always gripe about ghost hunters like you've been on for x amount of seasons yeah we all get it what now what are you doing with your data what what is going on and i think we never quite move past telling these stories and going, ooh, I think it's real, and the little feeling you get in your gut for thinking that something out of the ordinary is happening. Like, that that's motivation enough for us to keep going in this, and it can't be anymore. Not, not for me, anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Because people like to just, you know, and we did this early on in our show, where we would go through you know, a story, and we would sort of dissect the details, and then just, you know, make an assessment in the moment and then move on to the next story, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is what which is what a lot of people are doing. <laughs> but over time, you start to you start to see patterns. You start to see connections between things that you didn't where you didn't see connections before. And I, I think it it is important to to try to look past you know all the fingers to see the, to try and uh, understand the hand, right? Right. Um. But I do think I probably should tell you the 2001 thing because that, yeah, that's a nice transitional. Like I, at some point, I jumped the shark in my life, and it goes from like, oh, you know, are you an abductee slash experiencer into, um, quote unquote, let's put in quotes, spiritual stuff. Sure. And that stuff is more real than real. There's no question what that is. 
but there is this sort of experience I had that that kind of links the two, even though one didn't cause the other. Um, so, do you have time for that? I could. I'll yeah, absolutely. Could yeah, I'd love okay. to hear it. So it's 2001. It's uh, October 2001, and uh, this gal is coming into town. Um, by the way, is your audience? I don't know. Are, are they familiar with George Hansen, trickster theory, anything oh, yes. beyond like this is aliens? Okay, good. Yeah. So trickster fans, get ready. Uh, so this gal <laughs> is coming into town. I, I've only ever met her online. Um, we fall head over heels in cyber love, uh, and she's coming to visit me for the first time. This is right after the 9-11 attacks. Um, so apparently a lot of people were doing that. <laughs> just like yeah. having sex and <laughs> the baby so. rate went up and I yep. was a virgin and so she was coming to uh, take that from me I guess clear clear my lack of work history in that area I guess yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, my fear of I had a fear of intimacy and part of it had to do with uh, probably my parents divorce at a young age probably being molested by a downstairs neighbor uh, at a young age, but also you know, consciously I was afraid that I was an alien abductee and, you know, you, again you read the literature and you learn if, if you can call it that that you can pass this on to other people yeah. and I didn't want to pass this on to anybody and I just thought like, you know, if I ever have sex, if I ever get intimate, could this could I be giving this sort of this, this disease of a terror in the night you know coming to people oh, man if anyone has ever wondered the sort of damage that the eth can do there you go <laughs> my god yeah well so night one uh went without a hitch and so i i that was i was like oh okay nothing happened great um i guess that was all you know much ado about nothing yeah night two I had the, the most blatant experience of my life, which was that um, there was a light coming in through the window. Now, I was broke at the time. Why this girl would come and visit some broke dude she's never met in New York City? I She seemed sane enough. So I don't know. But she did. And here she, this poor girl finds herself on a mattress on a floor. And, I think broke uh, guys have been relying on poor judgment, <laughs> on the poor judgment of women for a generation. <laughs> You've got a point there. Uh, so I'm lying on this mattress, and I this light wakes me up coming in through the window that uh, is on the other opposite side of her. So I sort of like I look climb over her, and I look down, and I see you know she's sleeping. I look out the window, I peel back the curtain, and it's just this bright white light. There's nothing there. And I figure, well, she's not, it's not waking her up. What do I care? And I roll over. And I look up, you know, as I'm rolling over, I look up. And there are these three, you know, gray to the blue hue beings standing over me wearing beige tunics. <laughs> and, <laughs> what is this, spinal tap, you know? <laughs> and my reaction to them is abject terror like and I am screaming but nothing is coming out of my mouth but the emotion that they're emoting to me is almost like childlike naivete like come with us they don't say anything there's no psychic thing it's just that's what I pick up in some emotive way and the, even though I'm screaming in terror and the next thing I know and there's no transition but the next thing I know I'm standing I'm still in my underwear as I went to bed uh, and I'm looking at this row of tables that is you know, vertical out from me um, so that the tables are getting further and distance away from me. And, and on these tables uh, are naked people, adults. And the one closest to me is a blonde woman, maybe in her 50s. And they all seem to be unconscious. Uh, the beings are standing around her. I'm not screaming in terror. So something there's some sedation that happens in the process here. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I here seeing this? <laughs> what am I doing here? And this female voice answers in my head, uh, you've always wanted to remember an abduction. And we then went on to have what I recall as a lengthy conversation, but I have no idea what was said. I remembered it the next morning, 
and I didn't jot it down because I didn't want this to be real. Yeah. Uh, even though at this point, I think I was writing for UFO magazine. Uh, even so, like even being that guy, you know, who talks about this and all that stuff. Um, yeah. When it happens, you don't want it to be real. Uh, so I just because obviously I lived in Queens, you know, there's not a UFO hovering over an apartment building and not everyone's seeing it. They're not showing up to go surprise and do some sort of joke just because I had sex. Like, right. that's not how you spell your spend your alien tax dollars on projects <laughs> like that, you know? So it didn't make any sense. Uh, and this is before I had read anything about George Hansen and liminality and, you know, marginality and all that stuff. Now it makes complete sense, but it doesn't make sense if it's aliens. It makes sense if it's yeah. an enigma of some sort. Um, but this clicks into the spiritual stuff in that uh, cut to a year later. I'm still in the same apartment, uh, built you know the same apartment, but I'm li- I'm in a different bedroom. Someone has left, and I've graduated to an actual bed in another bedroom. And uh, we have a subletter. So one of my roommates, my roommates are all actors and comedians, and they one of them had gone on a, like a boat cruise acting thing and so we had a sublet roommate who I had not met and um, so in the morning one fine morning uh, we were in the kitchen and playing getting to know you and my nose started bleeding out my left nostril and when that happened it flashed me back to the previous night uh, something that had happened which is this Um, and when I say night really well, part of it was at night. Part of it was probably around five in the morning, six in the morning. But when I had gone to bed, um, there's, I guess this is the part that I need to step in and explain. The jumping the shark part, which is, uh, uh, at this point in my life, um, I've had uh, an ego death of sorts. And during that, and in that ego death, this energy rises, kundalini or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it moves the body around. I don't do it. It does healthy things to the, it does all the exercises and crap that I don't do. (laughs) So it does things that are intelligent movements that are, that I don't know anything about, but they seem to have healthful benefits and all that. It's never done anything as prosaic as what it did that night, which was pinch the bridge of my nose. Like it came alive, you know, on its own. And when it, when I say that, I mean, I'm using terms loosely here. I don't even know that it's really a separate energy from me, but I just know that it's not my conscious intent. And uh, so it sort of, and and when it does that, when it comes alive and maneuvers around, I'm still there. It's not like a trance state where I go somewhere and I, oh, what did I do? Yeah. I'm still there. And I can shut it off just by not, just by by inserting my own will. Um, Yeah, overpowering it. Right, but so, but it doesn't normally come alive on its own. Usually, I have to be silent for about a second, and then, you know, let's call that meditation. Yeah. Um, but this came alive on its own and b- pinched the bridge of my nose, as if cauterizing my nose for a nosebleed. I would say because um, it just did that for a good long while, and that was it. Um, and then at, at some point, like I said, like five or six in the morning, somewhere in there. I saw a light out my window across the room, um, which was, again, in a different room, but it was actually the same sort of alleyway that would have been for that thing that happened the year before. Right. And it was the same quality of light. It was that bright, white, diffused light. And uh, at least when I say this, I'm screwing the story up. This is what I thought. Like, I opened my eyes and there was no light. It was just, it was light in my head. And I just figured there's light coming in from outside the window. But when I looked, there was, there was no light outside the window. And when I rolled over to my right, where my wall should be, was this light. So <laughs> the light was almost like, I don't know what, a portal, a force field, a something. Whatever sci-fi thing sure. you want to put on that. And as I'm looking at this right there by my face... My nose starts to bleed down my throat. Um, so again, I had forgotten all of this until my nose bled out the next day, and then I flashed back to this. And so that's why I think like this energy must have 
known that this was going to happen. Must have cauterized my nose so I didn't bleed all over my sheets when I, like, something in there. But also, yeah. because it was the same quality of bright, diffused white light as the thing a year before, I could no longer ignore that. So yeah. it was a callback to that. Again, it was this feeling of a synchronistic sort of hidden hand thing where your life isn't necessarily your own. Uh, and it tied together this kundalini thing uh, in a new way. So I'm curious, because um, personally, I'm I'm pretty big on the like the idea of co-creation, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you're considering these phenomena in that light, would you say that the kundalini maybe tapped into the part of your mind, or maybe is the part of your mind that helps co-create these? experiences um like no maybe that's why it's it was aware of what was coming i would say no but um you know i certainly i'm open (laughs) i'm I'm open to anything but right now the way i'm looking at at it is uh different than that the uh, i don't know i mean where i like as i tell these stories i'm sort of trying to tell you where i was in my head then now i'm at a different place you know yeah um and sort of what i see now uh is quite possibly that you know there are beings that are uh you know let's go with a multi-dimensional call it a multi-dimensional theory Sure. Except that instead of just living in a universe next door, they are actually connected to us. They We share the same sort of dimensional space. And let's say there are nine dimensions or whatever through string theory, and we only experience whatever it is, three of them, four of them. What's going on in those other ones? And the ones that are specifically connected to uh, our bodies, to us, are there other beings that are both themselves and us? And do they speak to us? If, you know, through archetypal imagery, through these, you know, sort of universal images and personas. And do they also uh, come by way of Kundalini in some way? Because I I, I guess I tend to see Kundalini more as, um, I mean, people, you know, talk about it as a universal energy. Well, I think people talk about it as an energy that's in the body, that sits at the base of the spine, and if you can learn how to trigger it, it rises and all that. And I I think that's all garbage. I think that your spine has sort of an ethereal gill that opens up, and this whole thing of triggering that is, is just an unhealthy thing that you don't know is unhealthy because you're excited to be doing something different. You know, it would be like if you've never set foot in a car, but you turned on the engine with no gas and just the engine kind of revved and turned over a couple of times. And you're like, oh, my God, listen to that. What's good? The thing is shaking. This must be what cars are for. Uh, But so I think that it, you know, is when you are out of the way, the sense of self, this other quote unquote self. I mean, it's not really a self, but this other energy has room to maneuver this universal energy that flows through you, and I think that it is quite possibly death energy, that it is an amalgamation of sort of personas that can come through and do their specialty. (laughs) So if it's Tai Chi, if it's whirling dervish twirls, if it's yogic posturing, if whatever it is that these things were good at in life, or perhaps originally came through them uh, because they did the same or similar thing that, that had happened to me with the ego death and achieved this. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, first, <laughs> you can uh, you can save yourself a lot of money on yoga and meditative practices by just doing the kundalini, and it'll do it for you. It'll do all these things you don't even need to learn. So what is doing that? I think, like I said, I think it's it's a flux of... Uh, I don't know what you would call... I mean, I don't want to sound too macabre, but like death personas, you know, dead personas. Sure. In this energy flux. and But I think that if you're in this other dimension, that perhaps you know how to use even that or speak through that in some way, if that makes and sense. And you think that might be the source of the phenomena that people are experiencing? Is that... I think there are two sources. <laughs> okay. God, I'm sorry. This is so convoluted no, okay. now. But no, it is. It's there are all two right. sources. Uh-huh. This is, a, I mean, this is something that is all, you know, me. Like you're, not, 
don't, I don't, I don't know that anyone else is saying this. So um, that's great. There's my there's my narcissistic sales point, I guess, for <laughs> this, which is that the universe is thought. The universe is consciousness, and uh, how that is expressed. Uh, well, let's say. Let's say this. The universe is conscious, is consciousness, and you are the universe, right? You're right. here, you're in it, you are it. It doesn't want to die any more than you do, which is why this whole ego death thing is a pain in the ass. Um, I mean, you would think, like, if your natural state is to be whole and to be truth and to be light and all this crap, then why aren't we just that? Why aren't we just born that way? Sure. But we aren't. So the universe is sort of at large in the same predicament. And so I think the universe takes allows you to have um, peak experiences, religious experiences, that sort of thing, um, tapping into timelessness, and then reels you back, and then takes those experiences and creates novel sort of subtle realms, creates facsimiles of the real within itself, which we then call archetypal or we call whatever, the alien, the, you know, all this stuff. Uh, so I think it's difficult, but we have to distinguish what is um, coming from the universe pretending to be <laughs> multiversal and what is actually a person on the other side of the veil who is also you, who is awakened to all of this crap and is trying to gently nudge you awake uh, because one wants to keep you within the universe and the other one wants you to expand into this multiversal sense of self. Is that making sense? I will agree that it's convoluted. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. It definitely makes sense, though, honestly. And, you know, convolution is usually a sign of of truth. Honestly, reality is often convoluted. So, yeah, I mean, it does make sense. I'm, man, it's a lot, though, isn't it? I'm trying to think of what an analogy is because it's probably something. You know, all these big convoluted things are things that usually that you can see in our own behavior or animal behavior. And it's, you know, maybe it's just as simple as, uh, you know, well, virtual reality, right? <laughs> like we create sure. virtual reality video games and we want to put everyone in goggles and have them do meta, right? Yeah. Uh, so that is a way to not die or, or the fantasy of not dying is like you can go on forever in, in the computer in the matrix blah mm -hmm. that's the fantasy we have and that's the thing that some people are building toward um, is that a reflection of what the universe kind of does which is you know uh, with the added layer that it really does let you you know you do go out and experience selflessness and in that selflessness is timelessness and in that timelessness is truth and you experience these things you have these conversations with whatever, these non-dual beings who uh, appear at, in duality. Um, but then the universe doesn't want you to be that because for you to be that is to no longer be of the universe, right? You, It's the death of self, essentially, and therefore the death of the universe. So the universe doesn't like that. So the universe creates a fake version of that so that you'll go take psilocybin in... Uh, a weekend escapade and think you're a shaman. <laughs> yeah. You'll be, you'll, you'll have the power trip of like having done something that achieved this amazing, oh, look at this, but it's really a diversion and you don't know it. You think it's the real thing, but it's a diversion uh, to, to actually keep you locked in here, which sounds nefarious. It sounds like the universe is like this evil thing, but it's just kind of mechanical. It's just kind of the way it works. Yeah. And probably to our benefit, as much as the universe is, right? Yeah, and and all of that said, I'm still open to the f being wrong. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> like, if that's wrong, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I think everyone needs to, like, get a grip of that idea, in, especially in ufology. Um, yeah. Like, it's not only okay to be wrong, it's, yeah, odds are you are wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same way, like, when you talk about religion, right? Like, you're rolling the dice, uh, like yeah. odds are no one has it nailed completely right right yeah 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 i like i like that I, I think definitely a little humility would go a long way especially in the ufology community yeah but i think that this is i mean for me it's just this is an interesting thread to tug on and you know 
I wrote two books, you know, centered on this, the last two books that I wrote. And it came from, like, it came to me all at once, like this big one foul swoop sort of uh, theory, and this is how reincarnation works, and this is what Kundalini is about, and blah, blah, blah. So to me, it's, like, interesting that it came that way, and I didn't really have to think it out, because this sounds like something that you would... Of course, if I thought it out, it might be less convoluted. <laughs> but hopefully whatever I wrote on the page is less convoluted. I don't know. But yeah, it's something to toy um, with. And I guess the importance of it is is simply that it's not aliens. It's not demons. It's not even multiverse in the way that we tend to think of multiverse as just sort of moving the goalpost of aliens to next door. It's sure. something that reflects what we experiencers experience, which is... It feels as though it's me and not me at the same time. If there's a familiarity there, there's an all this. And the ufologist would tend to, or the, the abductionologist or whatever, would tend to put that all in the, you know, either the new agey, you chose this before your life kind of thing. Um, or that you were an alien or you're somehow family, you know, this sense of, of uh, you know, the sense of familiarity leading to family you know, might not actually be it. It might be even even more <laughs> attached than that, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the the theories around this stuff that I tend to resonate the most with because I'm not really married to any one theory. Um but the ones that resonate with me the most, I think, are the ones that you can see how how the mainstream theory got where they got you know in a world where this theory is the truth Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like they they sort of have like little derivatives of and and little ideas based on on something in this theory that you know you can see how they got from that to that right that that makes a lot of sense to me do you see uh, the the so called alien stuff connected with other paranormal stuff do you think it's all one big yeah, you know, intelligence with finger puppets. Yeah, yeah, I tend to. I think it, it gets a little weird on the cryptozoology side. I think because um, you know it's easy to point to animals in the past having been discovered, and they were considered you know part of cryptozoology before they were discovered, and the stuff that you hear from flesh and blood people all the time. But I think it's it's hard to deny. The um, let's say ethereal qualities to a lot of like Bigfoot sightings, to a lot of all these um, cryptozoology encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and and I pretty much roll poltergeist experiences and um, even things that are labeled demonic possession, thing hauntings, stuff like that. I think. Yeah, I think that and UFO experiences are probably all fingers on the same hand. So how do you have discernment about these things? Because, you know, I'm a guy who just told you all of that. And yet I'm also a guy who uh, makes fun of New Age crap and poo-poos things all the time. And some would argue, what right do you have to do that? Because you just said all of that. (laughs) You're exactly (laughs) like them. And it's like, but that's why I have discernment, because I say all of that. And so I have a sense of, like, what isn't true? I may not know what this stuff is, but I know what it isn't. And uh, what is that for you? When you hear someone say something, you know, like what I just said, or even just saying, oh, I saw aliens or whatever, what is your your BS meter? Um, Well, I mean... I've spent most of my adult life studying history. That's, you know, that's what I do. Um, So making connections between, you know, from social standards, from society to society throughout the years. I think that that's that's a big part of of how I gauge these things, because the, the experiences tend to evolve with society so that's that's always kind of been my right my guiding 
light, if you will. Um, or the baseline that I always go back to. Um, that's that's pretty much at the base of my my view of of Fortiana. Um, but as far as a BS meter goes, I mostly rely on on one to one conversations with people. It's honestly when I read like a, I don't know like the Lonnie Zamora UFO encounter, something you know far removed. I'm never going to get a chance to talk to Lonnie Zamora. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I I can't make a call on on stories like that, and it like it tends to annoy people because I won't say what he said is true or what he said is definitely bullshit. I because I can't. I rely on conversations, on gauging someone's right. character and their their intent, and in, yeah, in one on one interaction. I should say also, to, you know, add to that, uh, if you're in this long enough and you see, like, the machinations behind the cottage industry and all of that stuff, um, and if you talk to people long enough and you finally get them to say, oh, yeah, that was a dream, but we all know that dreams are real, right? Like, there's no discernment between, like, a lucid dream, yeah. something that might be coming through as a dream, and, like, a real sort of normal experience in consciousness, Sometimes yeah. you don't even get that out of people for the longest time. And uh, that's a big deal to me. So I, I think seeing these things, it's hard for me to put any weight to in things like that, that that I would have before. Like I would have read the Lonnie Zamora stuff and been like, oh, that's fascinating. And now it's like, well, I don't know. I would have to talk to him. And also, did he have handlers in this? Sure. Uh, yep. There's yeah, there's a lot of that, and I know you've spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about like the problems with hypnosis and and all that stuff. So many of the stories that we've now heard over and over and over again, when you really dig in into them, you see how guided they were by these people, right? These people who had agendas, and they're just sort of cherry picking ideas to. To suit their storyline that they were pushing right they're cherry picking and all of their friends uh you know are come to their defense and yeah. part of that is that they're friends and this is a social scene for them though they'll never admit it but also part of that is the cottage industry you're protecting your own work by protecting hypnosis yeah so you know when you see these people on tv as oh i'm a truth teller you know that's that's n nonsense <laughs> much of the time and yeah. how are you to know you know but because i'm in the position to know i can't unknow that so i can't look at you know any of these like i said any of these older cases with any certainty but i can say like the type of thing that would strike me as real is something that isn't the cookie cutter story of uh hypnotically retrieved stuff so, sure. you know, again, Jeff Ritzman, before he, you know, gave it up for Lent, I don't know what, he, he was a <laughs> ufologist. He was a, you know, he would go out and talk to people and do photo and video analysis and all of that. Yeah. And there were certain cases, like uh, there was somebody who reported seeing um, a Mack truck in the sky. There was somebody who reported seeing yeah. an upside down um, Starship Enterprise in the sky. And these are the things that you think are, you know, oh, that's crazy. Those are the things I would look at and be like, okay, yep. that's something real. <laughs> yep. Uh, because it's just cr so crazy, it might be sane. Yeah. So I there mean, is some sort of like weird intuition, right, that goes on with this. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm very similar. The higher the strangeness, the better. The, you know what I mean? The more, the more it makes sense to me that that it's an unfiltered experience that someone had. Yeah. And and that it isn't completely written out like beginning, middle, end. And also the way that people tell it with no emotion, like people who talk about like, oh, yeah, this happened and this happened and guardian angels and eh, eh, and it's all just sort of like this amount, this stew of stuff that you've heard with no yeah. real emotion to it. 
which doesn't necessarily mean they're being dishonest. But then when you say like, okay, so what was the origin of that for you, where you became comfortable enough to have this talk with me? There's no real answer to that. And I, I find that over and over again with sort of the disingenuous side of this. And what's really interesting, somebody like that who I will talk to, uh, you know, live and in person sometimes, like at a party even or something. Because um, once people hear who you are, then they want to, you know, rush up to you yeah. and tell their story and talk at you. And uh, yeah, so there, there's something about like, I forget where I was going with that, but just the disingenuousness um, that it is there, again, there's no there's no there there. It hasn't affected yeah. their lives at all. It's just it's all told to empower them uh, and make them out to be somebody in their their own head. Oh, I know what I was going to say. And if I so if I have a conversation about this in any other way, like I talk about trickster theory or the multidimensional thing or whatever. They'll uh-huh me and yes me and, and even legitimately think that that makes sense in the moment. And in the very next moment, they'll go back to their, so what do you think about Roswell? You know, like, or whatever. <laughs> it goes yeah. back to the, it's as if they have immediate amnesia over the thing that they just agreed was actually better than the way they were thinking about it. Yeah. And I I find that more frustrating than anything. Yeah. it's They just fall back on the way they've been looking at it instead of integrating the new information into in, into their perspective yeah so would you say that that is now I don't know if you're in the scene talking to people and all that I'm not anymore but would you say that um, that if you are if you do know the answer to this that that's more yeah. prevalent than not or or no um, honestly I, it seems it seems that it sort of swings back and forth Right. Like you like you mentioned cycles before of, you know, UFO stories coming into prominence and then falling back again. It, I think within oh, that, this is uh, uh, before we recorded. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That was that was off mic. But um, I think there are cycles within that also where um, people will sort of lean into the nuts and bolts side of things and then it'll swing back more toward the, you know, for lack of better term, spiritual or um, outside of the box theories. But I think right now is a weird time. I, I don't, I don't exactly know where we are right now because I think so many people are like flooding into the, the scene, I guess you could call it. Um, they're that both camps are filling up at a rate like I've never seen before. Both camps? Yeah, the you know, the nuts and bolts side and then the people who are looking at it from a more um sociological perspective or more um humanities-based approach, I guess. Um right. Cuz you have, you know, you have like the to the stars academy and Nimitz and all those people sitting around talking about propulsion systems for hours on end. Um <laughs> And then on the on the other side, you have people talking about the social impact of of it and the way, you know, human consciousness is probably influencing it. It's gotten so flooded with new people, I think, over the last just four or five years that it, it's hard to tell exactly which side is bigger right now. Right. Yeah. Do you the Jeremy Corbell and the Louis Elizondo and the two the stars people and those guys? Do they deal with uh, abduction stuff or purely UFO stuff? From what I've seen, it's pretty purely UFO stuff. I, Do I've, you think I've never I've never really seen them touch on abduction experiences? Hmm. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> My experiences with that side are very limited. Also, so it's pretty hmm. much just like perusing the occasional you know, Instagram post from one of them. Um, I don't, I don't really, that stuff, it kind of turns me off of the whole thing. Um, the whole approach of turning the UFO phenomenon into 
like a, a military threat to help get funding. I think they all have right. it in their heads that one day the government's going to pay them to look for UFOs. Um, <laughs> and I like, you know, I hate to break it to them, but if that if we ever come to that, they're probably going to hire their own people. Right. Um, but yeah, it's that that stuff. I don't I don't really like um, people that sort of demonize the and some people literally demonizing but that that stuff has never really appealed to me the like making all this terrifying right right yeah yeah i mean i i wrote about that in my book which is that i think it's quite probable um sort of a version of what you said that you know at least in terms of the navy and the military taking part in this, that it is about um, if we get rid of terrorism, what's a better general vague threat phenomena? Unidentified yeah. phenomena. And if you look at like the timing of that, uh, the footage of the things allegedly coming up out of the water and going into the water, and we don't have anything that can do that and blah. And then you see, you know, like cut to a couple of months later where literally the pentagon is is tapping um i can't remember the name of the company but a company to essentially build um not just drones that can come up out of the water but like motherships that can you know submarine type uh carriers for these drones that are underwater and it's like oh so you're gonna that's what this is to me this is just sort of look we need we need funding for the thing that we could defend. You remember this? And they don't even have to say it. You just make the association in your head. Like, yeah, you remember yeah. that? Yeah, we need to defend against that, wherever that's from. Yeah. You know? And it's like, oh, this is all just perpetual military budgeting for forever, yeah. for the rest of your lives. Yeah. It's and every time really. I bring that, it, it is. Every time I bring that up, it I get, you know oh so it's a big conspiracy and I'm I always I'm always like no it's just the way the government works it's the way the military industrial complex has always cared for itself right it it has to find an enemy to keep pursuing and also I mean if, if you're looking for like a conspiracy angle in that I would look to Project Serpo are you familiar with Project Serpo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, to my mind, given the characters involved in that, that's a psyop. That is, you know, let's put this crap on a message board and see what happens, see where it goes, see who responds, see how, what, what, what is the limit of people's belief in this stuff? And then QAnon yeah. comes along and just suspiciously looks exactly like that. And I don't know. Yeah that that's anything more than whoever these dudes are that came up with QAnon also knew of Serpo and, and knew how to like, you know, work the internet, but, but whatever it is, like they've got all the info they need. Now they've done the research. <laughs> uh, they know how to sell you UFOs as um, a slightly friendlier version, which is, we're not saying it's aliens. It could be the Chinese. It could be Russia. It could be, could be, could be, sure. could be, could be, but you know it's aliens, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and just how much and in what direction to pull to tug on your psychological threads to to make this okay uh, and acceptable to have an invisible enemy, you know, where yeah. they don't have to go after a country anymore, go into another country. Yep, they can just perpetually be building for something that they're making everyone feel is coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something's coming or is already here. Yeah. Yeah. Some insidious enemy. I don't know. See, this is a, one of the reasons why I don't too often get into the nuts and bolts stuff because it it inevitably you have to talk about, you know, the military industrial complex and the conspiracy stuff and and all that. Yeah. I think the obvious just rule of thumb is uh, if you're one of those people who's like, I don't trust the government, I don't trust the military, then you don't get to trust their UFO whistleblowers, and you don't get to trust yeah. their recontextualizing this into UAP, blah, 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 blah. 
You, you don't get yeah. to trust it when it triggers the oogly feeling inside of you, <laughs> that sense yep. of mystery. Because there is a mystery here, but it's it's not being done any service by pretending that this stuff is that mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. When this disclosure stuff first started happening a few years ago, well, this, you know, this newest round started blowing up a couple years ago. My co-host, Ryan, and I were, I mean, the, the perspective I always took was like, it doesn't matter what they say because it's the government giving information to a group of people who have never trusted the government. And I was wrong. I was wrong when I said that. Because there is a massive swath of people within the UFO community who have spent decades talking about how the government lies about everything and the government won't ever tell us the truth. And as soon as they start saying things that they like hearing, right? they're, they're fully on board. They're like, finally, they, they're telling the truth now. It's that <laughs> thing I said it was. Yeah. <laughs> Their truth looks like my truth. Duh. Exactly. Yep. Oh, it's crazy. I I don't know how to explain that. I'm not. <laughs> I, I really don't. Because I wasn't expecting that at all. I really wasn't. I I thought that they would just never be happy with whatever was disclosed. That they wouldn't accept anything that the government told them. And that right. I was very wrong. Well, I guess if there's a, a bright side to this uh, in some way, it's that there are ways to sort of ferret out what is on the path to the reality of this. Um, and I know this not just from experience, but from, um, you know, hosting a show called The Experience when I did talking to experiencers exclusively. And what you find out is... Uh, the story the, 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 the life of an experiencer is quote unquote crazier than the cookie cutter scenario or the I saw a UFO scenario and um, even they might not be willing to share it all at first including with like a MUFON researcher um, yeah. and that's the reality not the cookie cutter thing not the not the part that you can easily study and categorize and, and show on a screen and go, look, that's the propulsion system or that's an alien from Zeta Reticuli or whatever. Yeah. Um, all of those things are the manufactured part. <laughs> and so I would, I would even say I would be willing to bet. It's just been my experience in interviewing people uh, that if you think you've had one experience and it's like legit, like a really good, like, you know, I believe you experience not wish fulfillment or whatever. Yeah. That and you think that that's it. I bet I can interview you for about 15 minutes and pull out stuff in your childhood that was also this and you didn't see it as that then but you know. <laughs> now you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. that you just discarded. And so on that's on one level and on the other level is the thing that I that I think, you know, that I've been tugging on of the universe showing you this facsimile thing. Like, how would you know the difference between a facsimile and the real message? And it, and if you will go with me down this road, yeah, uh, the way to see that would be is the message uh, about transcending and including, uh, you know, your sense of being, is it about wholeness and, and, and that sort of thing? Or is it about self-empowerment? Like, I think something that is of the universe is going to be about building up yourself, evolving. This is a school. We're all here to learn, you know, move on and reincarnate and whatever. All that sort sure. of messaging is the universe talking to you, <laughs> is thought. And uh, that which says, um, that's all well and good, but there's something else. And you've got to figure this out. That might not be. Yeah. Uh, and so with that, I think what these like hypnotists pull out of you and what these, you know, people who have a story about what UFOs are who stand on a stage and tell you, those don't tend to go in that direction. They tend to go in the direction of 
something that is completely understandable, something that maybe is controllable, or at least the illusion of control. Um, at least something that you, you can project your fear onto and have control yeah. that way, including your own government or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think if we just look at those those things, we can sort of start to discern, you know, the signal from the noise. I like that. Oh, good. That makes a lot of sense. I passed the test. Yeah. You nailed it. <laughs> Woohoo! Well, we're coming up on an hour, and I think that's like that's a great message to end on. Um, yeah, because I, I really like that. I think that's like one of the biggest problems people have is trying to figure out, you know, and not just with with UFO experiences and all that, but information in general. Everyone is flooded with it, and I think one of the biggest problems that humanity faces right now is trying to decipher what is real and what isn't or what's valuable and what isn't yeah so yeah i think i think that's a really good message okay well then maybe i should i'll, I'll just shut up then <laughs> hey what if um, i had to say something else if i had to say one more thing yeah, do it do it one more thing <laughs> I, I would just be to recontextualize what i just said in this the, this sort of easy to bite on bit which is that uh you can't trend your send yourself with yourself so we're talking about two different minds, essentially. One that is you, that is ever evolving, ever looking for the next thing, ever looking to learn or teach or whatever. Empowerment, war, you know, spirit warrior, whatever. You know, all these terms that we like to call ourselves mm-hmm. and things that we like to think we're doing and we're building towards something. That's just what our culture is about, is like time is a line and you're building toward a future and you're the star of that show. That's one mind. That mind can't touch the timeless mind, non-duality. That mind has to dissolve for non-duality to be the case. And if there are beings that are quote-unquote superior, they're not really superior. They would be whole. Anything that is... There's no technology that an alien could show us that we couldn't figure out if they gave us an instruction manual. This, on the other hand, isn't of the mind that even reads an instruction manual. So if you're to know that mind, you have to be that mind. And the only way to be that mind is to see so clearly that this mind here ain't going to get to it, that the brain shuts you up. You can't even shut you up. The brain itself has to dissolve you and realize that you as the seeker are the thing in the way of that which is sought. And uh, if that sounds like gobbledygook, just sit with it for a minute and see what happens. And then you'll be the alien. The end. (laughs) (laughs) I think you nailed it right there. That that's so good, Jeremy. I I really like that. Thank you. Phew. Yeah. Thank you for doing this, man. This was fantastic. Thanks for I mean, having me on, but also just human to human. Thanks for being you because I can tell uh-huh. that you're an actual like you're the type of mind that I've been waiting for to come along in this. You know? And I appreciate that, that. It doesn't exist here. It's that there's too few. And what yeah. I see coming in are the people who are into the, you know, the, the nuts and boltsy stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got a good head on your shoulders. And thanks for, you know, gearing it toward what otherwise would be laughed at or or ignored. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, before we go... If you could tell the audience like where to find you, where to follow you, anything that you you know want to plug, you can drop it right here. Oh, don't follow me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a I have a website, ourundoing.com. Uh, so if you care about the spirity stuff, that's there. Um, but really, I think uh, my book, my latest book is called Aliens: The First and Final Disclosure. I think you're getting a sense of what that is here. Um, which is gets deep into it, but is also a comedy roast of ufology at the same time. So it's uh, who says humor doesn't have a place in the depths. Um, that sounds delightful. So give that a read. All right, fantastic. Also, links for for all that will be in the show notes. So if you, the audience, wants to follow Jeremy and see what he's try to keep up on what he's doing, if you can keep up with him, that is, he doesn't like being followed. Um, <laughs> definitely do that um, yeah man thanks again this was awesome alright thank you
Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.